Well, good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing today? Great to see you. My name is Scott Rideout. I'm the lead pastor at Sun Valley Community Church down the road. Lynn is sick today, so I'm, spend, I'm spending time here with you guys today. I'm glad to be here, I think. <laughs> so I'm not sure. See, here's, here's how I think things happen. Uh, Lynn, you guys have been in a series the last four weeks talking about things. And I, I think Lynn pretty much spent his wad over the last four weeks talking about it, every angle at this topic he, he could. And, and he just didn't want to talk about it anymore. So he and a team got together and they started to think, well, who would be an expert on this subject? Who, who could speak about lame sex? <laughs> Scott Rideout. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think maybe, you know, maybe this is a, a, is a hit by Lynn on me, but I, I'm just glad to be with you guys. Lynn's a good friend, and it's just so great to be with our sister church here at Cornerstone. And thank you again for the privilege of being, being with you uh, this morning. You guys over the last four weeks have been talking about my lame sex. Not mine, but yours. And, uh, and uh, we, we've been talking about the last four weeks about all the issues that surround spirituality and the sexual part of life. And, and you guys have just done a great job. The first week, I understand that Lynn was up here, and, and he, had, he had two beds, and one was a dog bed, and he barked like a dog. That's what I, that's what I heard. I would have seen, loved seeing that. The second week, you guys were talking about the difference between men and women. And uh, men, we realized that we have a microwave dream and a crockpot reality. And, uh, and so we had to deal with that whole thing. The, the third week, some, some really brave men came up here. And they talked about the issues of pornography in their life and how it had ruined their marriages. And by the way, Jim, that was up here, was actually my accountability partner. And uh, he's done a great job in my life. It's just a great, great, uh, great weekend. And then last week, I had a young woman come up and talk about sex slave trade and streetlight and, and, and how that really impacted her life and, and the redemption and forgiveness that comes from Christ, even in difficult situations like that. It's been, it's been great. And you guys, I understand you guys, some of you have been on a 30-day uh, challenge and some of you haven't. 30-day challenge was a singles, you're going you're gonna to stop. You're going to hold back. You're going to, you're going to listen to God and trust Him, and, and, it, and, and you've been doing that for 30 days. And uh, women uh, and men uh, who are married, the, the men, you've been, decide, you've been told to go back on the hunt for your wife. I hope hunting's been good, by the way. And uh, you've been told to actually listen to them instead of, you know, the remote thing. You listen to your wives and spend time with them. Ladies, you've been asked to not criticize your husband, and you're so thankful the 30 days are over. And... Um, You've also been, as a couple, been told to, uh, told to uh, have a 30-day challenge, you know, touchdown dance and things like that. When I heard about that, my wife and I decided to join Cornerstone. Um, well, I did. She didn't really want to for some reason. I'm just not sure about that. But you guys have, you guys have been on this journey, and, and you've been trying to be good. You, you've been trying to follow the rules and to, to follow the guidelines and kind of grunt it out and do my best for 30 days and... And you, here you are, and you're like, okay, well, okay, some progress, but I'm not sure that's the whole picture. I'm not sure that's everything. I feel like I'm missing something. Th- that I'm trying to follow the rules. I'm trying to obey the commands. I'm trying to live by the guidelines, but there's, 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 an, there's an emptiness to it. You know what I'm talking about? There's a, just a, okay, is this what it's all about? Just follow the rules and be good? Or is there something more I should be experiencing let me tell you about my family. My wife, Lisa, and I have been married uh, for 20, almost 23 years. She's wonderful. Uh, we, we met in college and uh, just a wonderful wife. We have three kids. I have a son, John, who's 16 years old, goes to Gilbert High School. And John is an athlete. John is uh, he's, he's just a, much better than me. And so I love watching him play football. And he, he plays on the JV team and defense and starts. And just it's really cool as a dad to see that. My daughter, Ashlyn, is 14 years old. She goes to a different high school. She goes to Campo Verde. And she's in ninth grade, and um, she and I, she's my lover of souls. 
she loves people and she loves God. And, and we went to Fiji this summer on a mission trip together. And my daughter just has a heart for people and a heart for God. And I just love that about her. My son, DJ, David, he's, he's 11 years old. And he's a wrecking ball. I mean, he destroys everything. And he, he is the kid that, that life is an adventure all the time. And he loves Legos and creating things. He also loves destroying things. And we find candy all over the house. And yeah, there's all this, all this stuff. And, and all my kids, I, I want to be a great dad to them. Any dads in the room? I, I want to be a great dad to all my kids. But they're so different. They're so unique from each other. And, and how do I as a dad, you know, I got this football player here and this lover here and, and, and this wrecking ball over here. And how do, I, how do I love all these different personalities? I thought it would be hard, but honestly, it's just really simple. All they really want from me as their father is time. They, they want me to, to know them and to ex experience them. So I, I spend time with them in different ways. My oldest son, John, we go out to Buffalo Wild Wings and uh, we go to sporting events, and we just, we just talk about life, and, and sometimes he lets me in, and sometimes he doesn't, but he, he knows his dad is there for him. He knows his dad loves him. He knows his dad is proud of him. You know why he knows that? Because I, I tell him all the time. And my daughter, Ashton, she's easy. It's Jamba Juice or nothing. You know, Jamba Juice or go home. So we go down to Jamba Juice down at Gilbert Road, and we'll go get something, and we'll walk over to Barnes & Noble, and I try to spend the time with my daughter and, and just say, listen, I am so proud of you. And I love you, and you're so beautiful, and you're so wise. And you know, I, I'm trying to get permission to speak into my kid's life, even though they're teenagers. You know how hard that is. And my son, DJ, he's easy. It's Slurpees at 7-Eleven. And uh, water and ice and playing video games. And, and I'm trying to speak into his life as well. At 11, he's not quite as, as, as formed in, as the other two. But, I, but, but all I'm trying to do is, is create this thing called relationship with my kids. Because I've found that I still need to transfer the rules. I still need to help them know what I know because I've had some experiences that are good and some experiences that are bad. And I've made mistakes I don't want them to make. And I, I've done some good things that I want them to do. And, and so there's all these rules about life that I want them to hear from their father. But, 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 but rules just don't go over very well with teenagers. Would you agree? And so here's what I found, that, that, that rules without relationship always end up in rebellion. That life is not about the rules. Life is about relationship. And, and if I can stay close to my kids and, and I can show them that I love them, and I can show them that I want something for them and not from them, then they'll give me permission to, to speak in their lives and, and we'll have this relationship of, of trust. And as I think about the topic today and, and the passage we're about to read, the, the, the passage reads like a bunch of rules. It really does. And so I want you to think about it differently today because it's, it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship with God behind the rules. That a, a heavenly father who loves you, who wants to spend time with you, who wants to tell you what he wants for you and not from you. And so if you'd be willing to look at this passage with me from the context of a, of a loving relationship of a heavenly father who loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. Then it'll give us a whole lot better ability to, to, to have this trust relationship with God. See, the thing about God and, and, and walking with Him, there, there's three components to a relationship with God. Love, trust, and redemption. He, he loves you and He pours out that love to you and, and so He wants you to trust Him and because He wants to redeem your life, redeem my life. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. God can take whatever it is and He can make all things new. And so, so as we read this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you turn in the Bible if you haven't, We'll show it on the screens if you don't. I want you to think about it in the context of a love relationship with your heavenly father who loves you and wants something for you in your life. Let me give you some background 
to this passage. The Thessalonian church was in northern Greece. It was a, it was a, it was kind of a cosmopolitan area. They were, they were very forward in their thinking. Uh, it was a Roman culture, and so they, they had a lot of things going on. And the church is being planted here, and the, and the church is trying to think a different way than, than the world that it's in. And in fact, they're, they're so opposite in some ways that Paul is writing the book of 1 Thessalonians to this church to talk about three particular topics that he wants to say, listen, if, if you're going to make a revolutionary impact in this place, you've got to think differently. You've got to look at these things differently. And he, and he talks about death. He talks about work. And he talks about sex. And the fact is, in the early church, Christians view those things completely different than the rest of the world. When it came to death and, and people in the Christian world were being martyred, you know, most people in that time were afraid of death. But the Christians, they found them singing hymns to God, praising God, praying to God, asking for forgiveness for the people that were killing them. It was totally different. They weren't afraid of death. They embraced it like it was graduation, it was commencement of something new. And the world took notice of how Christians died. And when it came to work, Christians were the hardest working people. They had the greatest work ethic in the world. It didn't matter how their master was and how their master treated them because they knew they had a master up in heaven that they were working for. Whatever you do, work for the Lord, not for men. And so they would, they would treat them with honor and respect, even when their eye wasn't on them. And when it came to sex, they were just totally opposite of the world. You see, in the Roman culture, there were certain things that were sacred and certain things that were common. In the Roman world, you, you, you know what was sacred? Money. You didn't give your money to anybody. M money was sacred. Money is mine. I, I get what I can, can what I get, sit on my can. That, that, I'm just going to hold on to it. It was, it was sacred. But you know what was common? Sex. In fact, the average man in the Roman culture had, had four sex partners. They had their wife. They had their mistress. They had their concubine. If that wasn't enough, they had prostitutes all over the place. The average man had, had four sex partners, and it was acceptable in society back then. And so sex was, was common, and, and Paul walks into a situation and says, listen, we've got to reverse those two. There are certain things that are sacred and certain things that are common. He says, money is common. In fact, just give your money away. Don't put your trust in wealth, which is so uncertain. G give that away. Share with everyone, anyone that has need. That's what the early church did. He said, he said that's common. Money, you know, you, you, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You can't take it with you. So you might as well invest it here on things that are kingdom-minded. Money's common, but sex? He says, sex is sacred. There's something more here than just the physical going on when it comes to sex. And in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he, he talks about those things. I want to share those things with you. And so if you turn the passage... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says this, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He says, hey, Thessalonian Christians, you're doing a good job. You're, you're doing a really good job. I commend you on the job you're doing. Now do it more and more. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Verse 2. It says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, anyone throws the Trump, uh, the authority card, the, the Trump card of authority, they know, hey, I'm about to tell you something you don't want to hear. I'm about to tell you something that's going to challenge your world. But I want you to remember that it's Jesus Christ speaking. I want you to remember that it's a Father in heaven who loves you, speaking out of relationship, not out of rules. Here's what he says, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. What does it mean to be sanctified? 
What does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctification is one of those church words you don't hear very much. I mean, maybe in the 70s you heard it in some, some songs, but I feel sanctified. But you, sanctification is, is this. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ. It, it's experiencing him in, in, his, in his fullness. It's, it's becoming holy and set apart and, and right and, and good. It's, it, it's, but it's more than that. It's, it's taking on the character and the priorities of Christ in your life. And there's a fullness in your life. There's a fullness. When, when Christ is in charge of your whole life, every part of your life, there's a fullness you experience in him. There's a vibrancy. There's a power. There's a freshness. He says it's God's will for you to experience everything he has for you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they might have life, and it might be to the full, the fullest, most meaningful life they could have. He says, I want you to be sanctified. And then he says, I want you to abstain from sexual Immorality. This is one of the things that rises up against this fullness that God wants you to have is the sexual immorality. By the way, the term sexual immorality implies by itself that sex is not just physical. If there's sexual immorality, it means there's a moral component to it, that, that there's something more here. And in fact, what Paul is trying to say in this passage is this, that, that, that sexuality and spirituality are connected they're connected. And we know the first half of it, that when we do something in our sexual life that, that kind of is contrary to God's word, it affects our spiritual life. But on the opposite side, it says this, that, that when we do something right in our sexual life, then it enhances our spiritual life. That you can do some things in your sex life that would actually help your spiritual life. That's news. Here's what I want you to see. In most, in most uh, of the world believes this, that, that life is really compartmentalized. That there are different parts of life, and you know, there's, there's my physical life, and there's my social life, and, and there's my, uh, there, maybe, maybe I'm married or not, but there's my married life, and, and maybe there's my, uh, I, I don't know, my work life, and there's my, there's my sex life, and there's my spiritual life. And, and they're all really just kind of bricks. They're, they're all, in, in the words of the great prophet Pink Floyd, all we are is just another brick in the wall, you know. Um, we're... We're just, there's a spiritual life and a sexual life, and, and the two are just kind of, they're just kind of there. They're, they're compartments. They're, they're pieces of our life. And, and if, you know, if I, if I have a spiritual life, and I, I'm going to say, okay, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to keep my sex life out of my spiritual life, I can do that. And as I think about it, when it comes to financial life, I'll probably keep that out of my spiritual life too. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I'll, I'll, these are just compartments. They're just pieces of, of the wall, and I can build it however I want to. And if I want to put my sex life into spiritual life, I can. If I don't, uh, but it's no big deal, because I can just, I mean, my, even, even without it, my, my wall is being built. It, look, it looks pretty good, so I can, I can keep that out of it. That, that's the picture we have, that, that sex life is just a compartment. It's just a piece, the same way that work is a piece of it, and family is a piece of it, and thought life's a piece of it. It's just a piece of the wall. But that's not the way the Bible talks about sex. It's not the way it talks about the connection between sex and spirituality. Instead, when the Bible talks about those things, it doesn't use bricks. It talks about water. Think about it in John chapter 4. Jesus is at the well, and the woman comes to the well, and he's thirsty. He says, can you give me a drink? And he says, how, she says, how can, you, how can you draw a drink? You don't, you don't have a bucket. And, and he says, lady, I tell you what, if, if you ask me for water, I'd give it to you. And this water would well up to eternal life. He was talking about spiritual life. It's interesting in that conversation where the conversation goes. She says, well, give me that water. I don't want to come to this well anymore. He says, I, she says, I want to experience that eternal life. I want to experience that spiritual side of life. And the first thing he says is, go call your husband. 
And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He goes straight to the sexual side of life. Isn't that interesting? He, go, he goes straight there. But, but he's talking about spiritual life and how it's like a, a liquid. And then when the Bible talks about the sexual side of life, it, it talks about the word soma. Soma is the word body. You see in your text there in verse 4, soma is the word body, but, but it means body of water. It's body of water. So it's not like bricks. It's, it's more like this. You see, we realize that, that your spiritual life is, is, a, is a whole life commitment to God. The Bible talks about how you and I need to pour out our lives as a drink offering to God, that it all belongs to Him, that everything we have and everything we are, it says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord and everything it contains, the whole world and all who live in it. And so our spiritual life is poured out to God, and, and, and this, is, this is our spiritual life, that it, it's, it's like a liquid. But it also says our sex life is, is like that as well. So a lot of people believe, and in sex life is really, a, it's a whole body commitment. When the Bible talks about sex, it talks about giving your whole, giving your whole body, your, your soma to, to him. And so as you, as you think about it, it's not like bricks, it's more like water, but there's something more to it. See, when we give our whole lives to Christ, and a part of that we give our, our sexual life to Christ, then not only is our life full, but inside those two things, as they work together, you see a transformation from yellow and blue to green. You see a transformation that happens. But these things are not separate. These things are not bricks in the wall. These things are not compartments of life. When whole body commitment means whole life commitment, that something magical happens, something transforming happens. And if we're willing to trust God, it's not something we can take in and take out. It's transforming us. We're willing to trust God that, that, that both are connected, completely connected to one another. There's an aside to this. If, if, if sex and spirituality are connected, it means, it's real important, that, that some things that are spiritual are sexy. Some things that are spiritual are sexy. Ask, get men, ask your wife. It's sexy at the end of the day because you, you want to be a good dad and the Bible says be a good dad. It's sexy when you come and, and you play with the kids. To her, that's sexy. Trust me. It, it, it's sexy when you decide to surrender your whole life to God and live for Him and, and kind of walk with Him and, and be a man of integrity. That's, that's sexy. You know the most sexy thing I know? It's prayer. When couples to pray together, that's, that's something intimate. That's something very sexy. In fact, you guys know the stats about marriages, don't you? You know how many marriages end in divorce in America? One in two. And you would think it would be better inside the church, but it's really not. It's, it's 1 in 2.5 inside the church. So, so going to church doesn't make a difference, so we won't see you next week. I'm no, just kidding. Um, but, but there is something. <laughs> just kidding. It's not my church. I can say that. Um, <laughs> but but here's, the, here's the thing. Do you know what the facts are, what the, what the facts are about couples that pray together? I mean, on a regular basis, they come together and they're, they're sharing their prayer requests with each other and they're pouring out their heart to God and they're being vulnerable with each other. And, and since they're being open and, and laid bare before God and before each other, the, the vulnerability and the intimacy of, of that moment. You know what the, the stats are about couples that pray together when it comes to divorce? It, it's one in two in America and one in 2.5 in the church. But according to the studies, you know how many marriages end up in divorce when couples pray together on a regular basis? One in 1100. One in 1100 end up in divorce. So forget about the counselors, go pray together, let's close. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the, the issue is this, there's something, there's something sexy about prayer, there's something intimate about prayer. 
And things that are spiritual and things that are sexy come together. There's something powerful about that. And, and there's nothing more like that than prayer. And Paul is saying, listen, this sexuality and this, this spirituality, they're, they're not separate. They're, they're tied together. They're tied to one another. And he goes on and he says this in verse 4. He says, I, he says that I, I want you that you should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that's holy and honorable. If you have notes, you know, circle the word uh, honorable. Not in passionate lust, circle passionate lust, like the heathen who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The word there for honorable in the Greek is the word timon, not pumbaa, timon, okay? Um, he, he's not a part of this story. It's, it's timon. It means reverence. It means trembling awe. The idea behind being holy and honorable in your sex life is, is this. Don't treat it as cheap. Don't treat it as common. Don't, don't treat it as something that, that is just kind of thrown out there. Be, be holy and honorable in the way you live your life. But the fact is we live in a, we live in a different kind of culture. We live in a hookup culture. Kids are hooking up. Uh, parents, by the way, if your kid calls and says, hey, I'm just hooking up with some people, don't say, say no, you can't do that, okay? They're hooking up. See, they, dating is kind of out. It, hooking up is, is kind of in. They hook up here, they hook up there, they're hook, here, hook, everywhere, hook, hook. You know, just, they just hook up all over the place. Dating is out and, and groups are in. And what they do is they go to the group and then they divide and conquer because sex is just a common thing. So, girls are much more aggressive these days than they ever were when I was young. In fact, the girls have got this new mentality, you know, we can have just as much fun as boys. And so they become very much the aggressors among our, among our teenagers and among our, our, our young singles. They're, they're like, why wait? Why have, let the guys have all the fun? Let, let's go out and pursue what we want. We're, we're on the prowl ourselves. And, and, you know, when I was young, my dad would try to teach me how to be a gentleman and stuff like that. But I found these days, I can't just teach my son to be a gentleman. I have to teach him to be on the watch out. Because there are roaring lions out there seeking someone to devour, and he, he wants to follow God. And so how do, I, how do I do that? And the attitude out there is this. It's, it's just sex. It's just physical. No big deal. But is that really true? Is that really, is that really, does that really the way our society thinks? Think about this for a minute. Imagine you're in a, in a theater. Let's say it's about 1,200 seats. Maybe you can imagine that. That's what you're in. And, and, and there's a stage in front of it. And on the stage, there's a table in front, of the, in front of the stage. And people paid lots of money to come in to the show that's about to happen. And there's this table. And there's a covered dish on the table. And the lights dim. And the music starts playing. And they, they, people are enjoying the, the, the show. And all, but they're waiting. They're, they're waiting for that moment. That moment when someone comes over and they take their hand. They put it on the covered dish. And they open it up to expose a turkey basted and brown and beautiful. They, they notice the legs and they notice other things, but they close it real quickly and, and like, wow. And you're watching people going, wow. Oh man, that was a moment. I, I loved it. I hope they, has a, hope they do it again. And so later on, later on in the show, they, they, they again, they, they pull back the cover of the turkey and there it is. And you see the, you see the legs and you see the breasts and you're getting really hungry and you're just so excited about this. And, but they cover it back up. Oh man, I cannot believe this is awesome. This is awesome. Later on, finally, they get to the final place where they take the cover off and they pull it completely off and it just goes wild. People are just staring at every part of this thing. And, oh, wow, wow. They just can't take their eyes off it. And you're observing this. And then finally, they, they put a the cover back on. The lights come back on. And they're like, wow, that was awesome. And everyone's talking about it. What do you think about that group of people? 
Okay, they're nuts. You know, <laughs> there's, there's something wrong with them. I mean, who, who would pay a bunch of money to, to, to see someone, someone open up a, a, you know, a, a covered dish and look at tur- turkey? I mean, you can get turkey anywhere. Why, why would anyone pay for that kind of thing? And you think about it for a minute. You, you would think that this, this culture, okay, they must be hungry. They, they, they seem to worship food. I mean, they'll pay money to see it. They'll, they'll, it'll be everything they thought about when they, they walked into the auditorium. That's all they could think about is that covered dish, that covered dish. They can't wait for the covered dish. They worship it like a god. And yet, isn't that what we've done when it comes to sex? We'll pay lots and lots of money to go to movies that, that have Angelina Jolie or whoever else, whatever your style is, or, or, or that guy or that gal, we'll pay lots of money to watch them and wait for them and wait for that moment. Woohoo! You know, we'll, we'll wait for those moments. We'll get on the internet and we'll, we'll look at pornography. Some of us will go to the place where we're actually hiring people to um, help us meet this appetite. But sex is just physical, it's just sex, right? We really shouldn't have that kind of hunger if it was just something physical. After all, if it's just physical, then why would it matter if a husband or a wife stays faithful in their marriage? It's just physical. It's just sex. So we, we don't believe that. We've gone a whole different direction with this thing. See, in the world, we've gone two ways with sex. We either degrade it, and, and most church people do. They degrade it. Sex is dirty. It's nasty. It's awful. It's don't, don't even do that. Don't watch out for that. And, 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 or we deify it. We, say, we, we worship it like a, like a god. You guys know the name Helen Gurley Brown? Helen, Helen was a, um, she was the editor for Cosmopolitan uh, magazine. And she did an interview one time, and uh, as, the, as the editor, she said, you know, there are three things that are really great in life, three, three most important things in life. She said, the first one is sex. And uh, the, the guy reported, she just stopped. He says, well, what are the other two? And she says, who cares? It's all, it's all about sex. And Cosmo is all about sex. And so is GQ, and so is Teen Magazine, and so is People, and so is everything. Every, every magazine seems to be, every, there's always an article about sex or money or power. There's always articles, doesn't matter what magazine. Field and stream, sex. I mean, it's, it's just everywhere. We have this idolatrous relationship. We have this counterfeit God relationship. Now, sex is not a bad thing. It shouldn't degrade it, but it's not an ultimate thing either. In fact, the Bible teaches that sex is a good thing. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden and they were naked and unashamed, he said, that's good. Not just good, he said, that's very good. When you go on in the Bible and you read a book like Song of Solomon, if you've ever read it, you know that there's a lover, a man and a wife who are, who are married and they're having this moment together. And honestly, if we were to go back into the Hebrew and really walk through that, it would be X-rated not PG-13, X-rated in the way. And so now all the teenagers say, I'm gonna read that book. You know? uh, but it's, it's, it's X-rated in the Bible if we really understand what's happening there. God says it's not, it's not bad. It's not something to be degraded. But it's, it's not something to be deified. It's, it's, it's good. But here's the thing. In our lives, we're looking for temporary things to give us ultimate fulfillment. And, and, and they're, they're good things, but they're not God things. And when we treat them as God things, when we take good things and make them ultimate things, they become gods in our life. 
but they'll never match up to God. They can't fulfill over time. We keep trusting in money and trusting in power and trusting in sex and trusting in those things. The, the word here, by the way, for passionate lust is the word epitomia. It means to over-desire. It's the same word that's used for idolatry. It's, it's the same word used for, adult, uh, for idol worship in the Bible. We, we, keep going after lust, we keep going after greed and, and lust and, and sex and power and all. We keep going after these things. Good, good things like sex Good things like money, good things like power, we make them ultimate things. When we do, they become counterfeit gods. C.S. Lewis has this great quote, because what happens in our lives, we go after these things and then they don't fulfill, or we go after something else or something bigger. He says this, if I find myself with a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not made for this world, but for another. We're trying to fill our lives with things that can never fill us up. We chase sex like it's a god. Sometimes in my marriage, I chase sex like it's a god. It's all I can think about. I'm betting I'm not the only guy here thinking that way. And I'm objectifying my wife. She's married to me. We belong to each other. But I, I, it's not about her anymore. It's not about us anymore. It's about me. And, I, and when I think that way, I, I've made sex into a god in my life. And I have to... Repent, which means to do a 180 in my thinking about her and my thinking about sex and make it about us again and make it about our walk with Christ again. Sex becomes an idol in my life, the same way power has and the same way money has. And I've got to turn from those things and trust that God knows best for me. Verse 6 says this, The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. So the challenge of this passage is we've got, these, we've got this whole life thing and this whole body thing, and we're saying come together, and they're supposed to be together, but we, we try to live in compartments instead and do our own thing. And, and God says, listen, I didn't make you that way. And, and by the way, the reason the pagans think that way, the reason the, the heathens think that way, the, the reason that they go after that like it's a god is because they don't know God. They don't know God. And he says, be real careful because God punishes that kind of thing. There eventually things happen. But for some of us, here's what happens. We think, no, he doesn't. And what we've done is, okay, well, we've always heard, well, it's, it's bad to go that direction and how far is too far. So we, we go this direction and we, we, we finally kiss a girl and lightning doesn't strike or say, okay, well, that's all right. I guess God, is, God isn't as, as bad about this as I thought. Then we, don't, we go farther than, you know, we stop kissing, we start touching each other. And eventually we go all the way. We're not struck by lightning. And, and what we've done is we say, okay, well, God didn't punish me here, and God didn't punish me there, and God didn't punish me there. I wonder if there really is a God. And in a sense, we've behaved ourselves out of our belief. And we no longer trust God. And so we've kind of just gone society's way rather than God's way. A few weeks ago, we had a singles gathering, and we did a, a, an Ask Anything kind of gathering with these singles. And uh, it's interesting to me that in this area of the sex life, uh, singles, whether they're 40 years old or 14 years old, ask the same question, how far is too far? I mean, that, that's the question of the day. And, and Chad Moore, our preaching pastor, was up there talking to them. They asked that question, how far is too far? And Chad said, well, the Bible teaches that, that sex is supposed to be, con be confined to, to marriage. 
Not before marriage and not after marriage, just in, in marriage. It's a gift from God to be used in the context because, again, there's a whole life commitment, marriage, and a whole body commitment, sex, and when they come together, there's something magical, something transforming that happens. And one of the guys, one of the single guys is like, come on. I mean, he, he was bold. I really appreciate that. He was bold. Come, come on. I mean, really? I mean, that, that's just not practical. It's not practical. I'm 40 years old, and, and how am I supposed to really know a woman if I don't have sex with her? I mean, how, how are we supposed to have any kind of intimacy? How are we supposed to know each other if we don't have, have sex? And so, so Chad said, well, do you have any friends? <laughs> the guy was kind of saying, like, of course I have friends. I mean, how, how well do they know you? Pretty well. Do you have some people you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning? When you have a problem or trouble, would they show up at 3 o'clock in the morning for you? Oh, yeah, I have friends like that. Do you have people who really know your, your, your inside, really know about you, really know your heart? Yeah, do you have people that, that know every, every dirty detail about your life? Yeah, do you have people that, that have permission to speak into your life and to, and, and, to, and to just say the hard things to you? Yeah. Any of them men? Yeah. You have sex with them? <laughs> You're like, no, of course not. Ooh, you know. So let me get this right. They, they know you inside and out. They're there for you all the time. They can speak into your life and you trust them. Sounds like intimacy to me. And you didn't have sex. Is it possible? Is it possible you can really know someone without having sex with them? And the guy got all flustered. He said, well, I, I, I mean, come on. It's not reasonable. It's just not reasonable to think that a 40-year-old wouldn't have sex outside. It's just not reasonable. And, and he said, you're right. What, I am? Yeah, you're right. It's not reasonable. It makes no sense whatsoever. You should be able to do whatever you do. It's, it's not, want to do. It's not reasonable. The guy was kind of taken back. He said, but, but then again, most things in the Christian life are unreasonable. I mean, think about the things Jesus taught us. Love your enemies. <laughs> unreasonable. Pray for those who persecute you. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to save your life, you must lose it. God became a, a man. <laughs> all those things are unreasonable. And yet all those things are the things that make Christianity so unique and so different. And so powerful. And so revolutionary in your life and in mine. We're willing to trust Christ with this whole life commitment but we're not willing to trust him in the whole body commitment. We're willing to trust him in our spiritual life, but we think we're like bricks on the wall. We're, we're not willing to trust him in our sex life or our financial life or whatever area we're trying to keep from God. We're not willing to trust him in both. So this whole thing is about love, trust, and redemption. God loves you. He wants you to trust him because he wants to redeem your life no matter what you've done and where you've gone. He wants to change you from the inside out. God isn't mad with you. He's mad about you. And in fact, so much so, the reason he wants this whole life commitment, this whole body commitment to be, to be together is because that's what he did for you. God came in a bod. God came as Jesus Christ and he died on the cross. He gave his body for you and me, whole body commitment. And as you believed in him and trusted him, he gave his Holy Spirit to live in your life. A deposit guaranteeing for your entire life, guaranteeing whole life commitment. He gave his son, he gave his spirit, he gave all that to us. 
whole body and whole life commitment to show he loves us. He's not just some rule keeper, just this cosmic cowboy up there saying, cut it out. He's the heavenly father that says, I'll give everything to you because I love you. I just want you to trust me because I want to redeem your life. And if you'll trust me in these areas of life, I will come in and I will make you everything I want you to be. And your life will be full and vibrant and alive and fresh. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. It's not about rules, it's about relationship. Rules without relationship always end in rebellion. But God loves you, and he wants you to trust him in this area. And he wants to redeem your life. You can have the fullness that God wants you to have. There's a transformation that happens when we say, God, my whole body and my whole life belong to you. Romans 12, I urge you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Married people, will you trust God that your spouse is everything you need in this area of sex? Not the TV, not the internet. Will you will you trust God that he is there to fulfill you? He's there to make your life full? Single people, will you wait? It's not the internet, it's not him, it's not her. I don't care if you think it's the last train leaving the station. It's, God is bigger than that. Will you trust him in this area? And will you experience the fullness God has for you? He's not mad at you. He's mad about you as a heavenly father who just wants you to know he loves you and he begs you to trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for how you change us from the inside out. I often find myself um, wanting things from you, wanting the gifts that you can give more than wanting you, and I just need to change that. I need to recognize that you love me. I need to recognize that you're a heavenly father who has so many things to speak into my life, and it's not about rules. It's about relationship with you. So God, this morning, I know that a lot of people are like me. We're kind of compromising the rules because we don't understand. It's not reasonable. It's not practical. But God, help us to trust you because you love us. Trust you because we have relationship. God, do a fresh thing in our lives. We redeem our lives. Today could be a day we start to walk with you. We start to live for you. We start to experience the fullness you want us to have. It will just trust you in every area of life because you want something for us. You love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.